0: Reading from Genesis 21, 1-3, and 22, 1-14. God dealt with Sarah as promised, and God did for Sarah as promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah bore him. After these things, God tested Abraham. God said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am, God. God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham himself carried the wood, the fire. I'm sorry, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, he said, here I am, my son, Isaac said. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, my son. God will provide the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of God called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. The angel said, Do not lay your hand on the boy, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place God will provide, As it is said to this day, on this mountain God provides. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God.
1: Thank you for that reading, Janice. It is indeed a hard story. Yep, yeah, there are some Sundays I don't want to say thanks be to God for the scripture. There is something of a debate about the validity or the importance of standardized tests that has been ongoing, maybe even for decades, um, and perhaps even more so during the last couple years of pandemic about tests in general even. Um, Do they do any good? Do they actually measure learning or progress or ability? just the ability to memorize and regurgitate? I happen um, as a kid and as a teen to have been pretty good at tests and exams. I don't like tests. Yeah, I get anxious about tests, but I'm an over-preparer. So A, I study like crazy, and B, I'm pretty good at BSing, So I get those essay questions and I just like, as long as I know like some of the facts, uh, I'm pretty good at tests. Um, and uh, those, those ones with the little bubbles, and I don't think they do them anymore, but when I was a kid, the standardized tests had these little bubbles that you would fill in, right, for the computer. Um, I always found that very satisfying. Um, also, I also get very anxious about it, but like sometimes they would make a pattern and I found that very satisfying. Um, recently, the NPR program and podcast Radio Lab did a series about intelligence, what it is, how we measure it. And one of the things that they reported on was how, how biased those kinds of tests are. Uh, tests that supposedly measure IQ or intelligence. In fact, the origin of uh, these so called intelligence tests about a century ago were used for things like excluding people of color from voting or to prove the superiority of European immigrants over black and indigenous people. Uh, All the links to back up my my assertions will be on the website later. Uh, So the education education community is more and more realizing that even now the same thing is true about other high-stakes exams like the SAT, for example. Uh, Ibram X. Kendi of the Anti-Racist Research and Policy Center at Boston University, and I'm sure some of you have read his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, is quoted in an article about bias in testing at the National Education Association. He says... We still think there's something wrong with the kids, rather than recognizing that there's something wrong with the tests. Standardized tests have become the most effective racist weapon ever devised to objectively degrade black and brown minds and legally exclude their bodies from prestigious schools. So, one, I'm probably pretty good at tests because I'm white and middle class and I'm a native English speaker. I did think about this a lot when I recently took my citizenship test. Flying colors, by the way. Uh, And two, uh, flying colors aside, I obviously now, maybe not obviously, I come down on the anti-test side. There are so many other ways to measure not only intelligence and ability, but also knowledge. Uh, I especially don't like tests When God is the one giving the test. This seems like quite a pressure laden situation. And yet, here we go, the beginning of this story, or at least the beginning of the story of the binding of Isaac, as it's called, in chapter 22, verse 1 God tested Abraham. And what a test! Take your only son the one whom you love, the one with the laughing name. Isaac means laughter because of the joy that he has brought his parents. Take this beloved laughing child and burn him all up. Because apparently I, your God, am am pleased by human sacrifice. First of all, since when? When? But Abraham seems to think nothing is amiss with God's request. In fact, he jumps into action. Not once does he stop and say to God, but what, hold on a second. This is a test that I would be happy to fail, that any of us who have had children would be happy to fail. Take your son, the light of your eyes. uh That is what my son's name means take the son, the the son of your old age, and make of him a sacrifice. I would argue. I would disagree. I would frankly, I would frankly be in that argue with God tradition of the Hebrew Bible. I would not say, here I am. I would put up a fight. At the very least, I would start with, did I hear that right? Right. Did I just hear what I thought I heard from the God who promised to make of me a great nation? Not Abraham. Not one word of protest. And never mind that, going back to my question, since when does God demand human sacrifice? Why is this a test God would demand in the first place? Why would God ask something of someone who has been repeatedly, repeatedly told that he has chosen. This is trauma for Abraham and for Isaac, especially for Isaac, for Sarah, his mother. At camp this past summer, along with the youth, I listened to a MennoCon presenter, Ana uh, Ana Maria Inojosa. She was one of the keynote speakers during convention. The theme for the whole week was Bring the Peace, uh, which was a topic that I can certainly get excited about. We we light our Just Peace lamp every week. Ana Ana Maria shared her experience of having a father and other family members be very, very, very ill with COVID. She talked about both her fear when that was happening, her anxiety, and also about how she was able to place her trust in God and the peace that that brought to her. And ultimately, her father was healed. She believed that COVID had been a test, that God is giving the faithful, and that faith was rewarded by peace. I can see some of the troubled looks on your faces, (laughs) and I was troubled. The youth who were with me were troubled. Like I, I would give a question box at the end of every session, and people would put in their questions. Like every question that day was about, like, really would God really test people? Does this, like, does this really happen? Or I don't agree. I challenge this. You know, like I challenge this idea, and I struggled too. I struggled both because I of the of that belief about God testing us. And also because I'm so grateful that our denomination, Men Church USA, is is no longer synonymous with European. That our denomination is is really like forefronting people of color, immigrants, black folks. And it is meaningful and important to have women like Ana Maria Inocosa give our keynotes to, to be able to preach to our youth and our whole denomination to have space for that, and for me and other white Mennonites to listen to her. But I just, I couldn't get behind this idea that God had caused COVID as a test. And like the youth, I had a lot of questions. What about all those who died? Was their faith not enough? Why would God cause suffering? So I'm a part of a group of other pastors and clergy who meet together regularly to work at Identifying and uprooting our internal bias and racism. So I brought my questions to this group of fellow uh, clergy. This tension between really, really wanting to support people of color in my denomination um, and see them succeed, and disagreeing profoundly with the theology that I heard, especially in that in that sermon. And a question from one of my colleagues, Pastor Andrew Conley Holcomb, who's a pastor to UCC Church in West Seattle. It completely stopped me in my tracks. He asked, well, how is this understanding of God liberative for her? How is this understanding of God liberative for her? It seems that I had been, and no doubt I still am, creating these standardized tests of my own for theologies and for the Bible and for people I had been asking, why does God cause? Why does God demand violence? And for me, the obvious answer was God doesn't. God doesn't do that. Uh, My my beloved Bible Worm podcast, who I listen to every week about the narrative lectionary, reminded me recently that it's the wrong question. Why would God? The question is, why, why would God's people tell this story about God? Why would God's people tell this story about their ancestor? I had been putting the Bible to a test, and I had been putting a people and their theology to a test. And surprise, surprise, my test was biased. I still do not believe that God puts people to a test. I don't believe God caused COVID. I don't believe that God asks us to prove something before we can receive love or peace or forgiveness. But I am now so much more curious to learn more about folks like Ana Maria who who for whom that is an important thing to believe. How is this theology liberating? Why would a people tell this story about God? This is the Torah portion for Yom Kippur. So if you are Jewish, you hear this every year at the new year, right around this time of year. And it's a foundational text. Today, many more uh, many Jewish theologians find liberation in the interpretation that God's test was, in fact, to see if Abraham would argue with God. So Abraham failed the test. If that in that interpretation of scripture, <clears throat> he should have, as I would have, as probably all of us would have, pushed back and said, "Hold up." Uh, <clears throat> but I was searching around among for other for interpretations of other Jewish theologians. Um, there's a whole website dedicated to this story called the Akeda Project, where Jewish progressive Jewish scholars are are. Talking about it. <clears throat> rabbi Shai Held says on that website that there's no evidence that Abraham failed. And I listened again as Janice was reading today and I thought, yeah, God seems pretty happy with how Abraham performed in this test. Abraham seems to have done exactly as God intended. So Rabbi Held also cites another rabbi, an older. Rabbi, I'm always impressed with Jewish scholars how much they know about the stories of like rabbis from like just like back and back in history. I certainly can't say the same for Mennonite scholars and theologians. Uh, Rabbi Isaac Cook says that this is a story about that's showing a God who invites Abraham, the great patriarch, to show the kind of passion that's shown by the pagans who are around him at that time the kind of passion that they show in their worship and sacrifice, but the morality of a monotheist. So directed at the one God, direct all of that passion and love toward the God who will provide where there is uncertainty or insecurity. There is a passionate need for a God who is in control, who has a plan, who understands, a God who knows outcomes, a God who provides, ensures a future even when the present seems incomprehensible and chaotic. When there's uncertainty or insecurity, there's a passionate need for a God who, even though no one escapes untraumatized, at the end, Every story will come through with a sheep for the altar. That's a God that I can trust, that I can put faith in when it is chaotic and traumatic around me. How can this story be liberating? I can't make up a better test question than that. And the wonderful thing about that question is that it's not a standardized test everyone is going to have a different answer to that question. May we ourselves be unbound. May we be liberated, and may we encourage and foster liberation and curiosity in others. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.